Hey, this is Stevie. This is Hethel. Welcome to Apologies Now. We are back today, and with the ongoing COVID pandemic, we thought that we would uh, bring another guest on that would give us a little bit of insight into what's going on in the world right now. Yep, Dr. Jack Austin. He should be here any moment. He is uh, a well-known infectious disease physician in the community. Very respected. We plan on having a really interesting and enjoyable conversation with him. Yep. Hope you enjoy it. Yep. Roland. So here we are today with Dr. Jack Austin. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So I was going to introduce Jack just briefly from what I know of you, Jack, just because we've known each other for a while, but this is what I think I know. (laughs) I think I know. (laughs) That's a great intro. Here's what I think I I know. I I think I know. Well, I always always feel like... uh, then, then Jack can just be like, no, you're wrong. Do this, you know? And so, so I know you are from here. You, when we met, I realized you had trained and or worked in Houston before coming back to Augusta. Yeah, actually, you're right. I was born and raised. I'm a, I'm a Harrisburg boy, for uh, those of you who know that. And my dad was born in uh, Frog Hollow. So uh, I went to MCG, though. I did go to medical school here, and then realized I needed to get out of Augusta to, uh, I think, grow as a physician and as a person. Uh, so I went out to Baylor in Houston, did my residency and fellowship training out there, and actually went into practice uh, in 1981 and stayed there until 1990, until I came back here. Uh, it was really a... Uh, just by chance sort of situation that I came back to Augusta in that I did come back to visit my folks who still lived here at the time and uh, did quite frequently, but never asked anybody, well, what's the infectious diseases community like here in Augusta? Because I just assumed that they were run over with infectious disease doctors since there was a medical college here. Right. It turns out there was actually no one in infectious diseases. I was talking to one of my physician friends uh, over lunch one day, and he mentioned that, you know, Jack, you know, we don't have anybody in ID. Have you ever thought about coming back? And uh, up until that moment, I hadn't. I just, as I said, assumed there were plenty of ID docs here. I would think so too, wouldn't you? Yeah, and I would just, you know, finish out my life and career in Houston, Texas. So uh, the wheels began to move, and uh, shortly thereafter, uh, came on back home, mm-hmm. and so I've been here since 1990. And it's fair to say that um, you've kind of expanded the ID footprint because people have come after you with you to kind of cover in the area, you know? So, Oh, yeah, since I've come on board here back in 1990 as the first private practice infectious disease doctor, we now have in the, in the private practice community Oh, seven, eight, nine ID docs around here. So that area has certainly grown. And so I'm flattered. Both of us are flattered. Yes, thank that, you so much. Yeah, you being you are here. So thank you. You're welcome. You know, um, so we let's can, get to business. Yeah, should we? I want to ask a very basic question. Do it. What's a virus? <laughs> don't waste any time, do you? Well, 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 let's no, don't. Well, let's well, get into that. Well, well you know. That's an interesting uh, question because it turns out it's a little bit controversial. Most of us believe that viruses do actually um, exist as um, a, a real thing. There are some people that feel that viruses like 
similar to prions, they actually don't really exist because most, if not all, viruses need to, if you will, inject themselves or infect human, plant, or animal cells to replicate. They can't do it themselves. Whereas every other cell type, plants, animals, can replicate on their own, but viruses need the help of another host. They have host. to have a host. Uh -huh. So some people say they, they're, they're li organisms living on the edge of life. Okay. That's so they're very small. Viruses, viruses are um, a, a particle so small that for the most part, almost all of them can't be seen by a light microscope, the usual kind of microscope you see in a laboratory. You need an electron microscope to even see them. They're that small. But it's amazing, though, um, being that small, they can literally pack such a punch. Now, not all viruses are pathogenic, meaning that they cause disease. And again, there are many viruses that infect plants and other animals that never even affect or bother us. Right. But the viruses that do cause problems can cause anything from very mild disease to life-threatening and devastating. Yeah, COVID is a perfect example. So one of the too. things I think that the controversy comes from the fact that to be a living thing, you have to be able to replicate without the assistance of anything else. And that, is that the controversy, that's, right? That that's the to... biggest thing, yes. It, it, it cannot replicate itself by itself. Right. It needs some other host, either a plant or animal cell, to do its job. And, and there, for the most part, is where the controversy lies, is whether this is a living thing or not. But what other non-living thing can replicate, period? The fact that this thing even replicates kind of implies that it is living. It just needs to replicate in this manner, and just like... We need to. Let's continue to change as well. Yeah. I mean, as yeah. replicating. Yeah. Well, you know, um, in terms of how did viruses begin, uh, no one really knows, but some people think that uh, viruses started as bits of genetic material from plants or animals that somehow got loose or changed. And, mm -hmm. and so that's how it actually evolved from actually the plants or animals themselves. So uh, it may be just an offshoot. Essentially. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So why do they make us sick? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stay non-clinical and ask pertinent questions. You know, and, and that's, a, that's a, a, a very interesting question, and I'm not sure we know all the answers, but, but what we do know is that when a virus invades and causes disease, now there's, there's a difference between a virus and even bacteria and, and, and getting in our bodies and, and just not causing any problems versus causing disease. So right. when a virus causes disease, that means the host is recognizing it and is reacting to it. And believe it or not, why viruses make us sick is because the, uh, the uh, chemicals and things that we produce, and they're called cytokines, and, huh. a, and a big cytokine that most everybody's heard of is called interferon. It is the production of interferon that makes you feel so horrible and gives you the fever, say, when you get the flu. Gotcha. It's not the virus itself. It's the body's response it's to our that ability, virus. It's our attempt to try to fight it, basically. Exactly. Exactly it is. That's why you feel so badly. Now, certainly if the virus continues to go unchecked, 
and or certain viruses have uh, virulence factors that are built into them, the body can even overreact. And with this COVID virus, what tends to kill most people is this thing called a cytokine storm, and that is the body's uh, over or is exuberant response to the to the virus, and it produces all these chemicals that causes the damage in the body. The uh, is there a way to limit that? Well, we're working on that. Yes, there are ways to limit the body's immune response. You've got to be careful about that because you certainly don't want to limit it too soon and too much, otherwise you can't fight off the virus. Blunting the response. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, you can. We do have these these chemicals called monoclonal antibodies that will will mute the response uh, somewhat. We also obviously have antivirals for some viruses that we can actually use to kill the virus too. But but there are chemicals available, medications available that can somewhat um, um, attenuate or tamp down the immune response. One of the things that I oftentimes will get in the hospital is that somebody's got a very apparent viral infection. And uh, I want to get back to when we call you in consultation at some point. Okay, mm. I want to talk about that. But mm. so, so we try not to bother mm. you and something like this comes on. But the patient or the family is like, well, give me an antibiotic. Right. And, you know, I'm like. That's like the catch-all, right? That's what everyone wants. Where's that's the Z-pack? But, but the antibiotic's not going to work. Uh-huh. But, well, why doesn't it work? Well, it doesn't kill, ba- it doesn't kill viruses. It kills bacteria. Yeah, you're right. And you're right. Um, it's interesting. Uh, at the same time, though, I guess you might comment on viruses happen. The, the infection from the virus happens, but then there ends up being a superimposed bacterial infection sometimes. It basically, I guess, weakens your immune response, so the bacteria sneaks in too then, huh? It does. Viruses can act in a number of ways to weaken the body. Not only can it blunt the immune response after an, a viral infection, but the virus can actually damage cells that it infects. And the cells of the lungs and the respiratory tract are a perfect example of that, in that many of the cells in the respiratory tract have these little microscopic hair-like things called cilia. And these cilia beat in a rhythmic fashion to move mucus and other sorts of things up and out of the lungs or the sinuses, for that matter. Sinuses are loaded with ciliated cells. And when you damage those cells, those cilia either don't work or they're not there for a while, and the mucus and other debris collects down there. And any bacteria that may be down there too just stay there and creates a perfect milieu to develop a post-viral infection. So you put that on top of the fact that the immune system has been uh, somewhat temporarily damaged, if you will, uh, then so you put those things together and you sometimes will get a bacterial super infection. Doesn't mean, super doesn't mean oh, uh, a greater or worse, it just means it comes after. On top you know, of it. On oh, top okay. of, on top of the, or, or after the viral infection. For folks listening, I'll probably put something in the show notes about uh, maybe a, a picture of cilia it really is like little microscopic hairs mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yes so, yes 
it's hard for people to imagine. Right. I always find it really interesting how nature mimics itself. It, you know what I mean? Oftentimes you'll see end up, you, you look at trees in the winter and they kind of look like a bronchial tree. Or, you <laughs> know, do. I always wonder how everything kind of... That's pretty good. It really does. Yeah, it's really... Just, that's, that's you know, I'm about it. It's too, co- too, too much of a resemblance to be coincidence. I would, uh, I would agree. I would yeah, agree with I, I think so too. Without getting so into too. a spiritual conversation, I think I think there's some science related to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. be careful about that. <laughs> so, hey, so speaking of science, uh, you'll get a kick out of this, okay? Uh, the other night, I don't think I told you this, Stevie. Um, the other night, I I go out to my car to get my work bag from my trunk. I have a routine habit of looking up into the sky at night. I like looking at stars. Mm-hmm. I think you enjoy. Uh, st- interstellar stuff mm-hmm, as well, if mm-hmm. I remember right. Oh, yeah. so, so I look up and I, um, I see a, a moving object. I, I initially thought it was an airplane. Uh, this is not a UFO conversation. Don't freak out. Okay. Um, so, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. This is like, how did I get on here with this? Guy? Okay. <laughs> so, but, but I look up and it's too big to be the International Space Station because yeah. you can barely oh, see Oh, you got to stuff. see that. No, no, you can see the International Space Station, but it's typically, if you look at it, it's so far away, it's faint, and uh-huh. it's really slow. This was not blinking, so it wasn't an aircraft, right? Okay. Uh, it was really close, you could tell, and it was uh, just steadily moving. So I'm sitting there looking at it, and I look a little further back, and there's another one in line moving along. I look further, there's another one right behind that. And now it's got my attention. So I'm sitting there just staring at it. And I'm not exaggerating. It goes for a few minutes. Uh-huh. Finally realize, I'm like, nobody's going to believe me about this. It's kind of a No, actually, thing. I think I overheard someone else saying that this is going on. Well, what, I'm trying to relate my, yeah. uh, my, my uh, kind of exuberance about the whole thing. So they're going in a line. Uh-huh. And so I... I uh, didn't think my wife would believe me. I didn't know what to do. So basically, I texted my neighbor. I'm like, hey, man, come out here. So he comes out. It's it's, it's, it's Dr. Fatain. Okay. So, so he comes out, and he's like, what's up? I'm like, look up. So he starts staring at it, and he's like, what is that? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, I don't think they're UFOs. I'm like, I don't think they're UFOs either, but there's something going on, you know? We, we sat there for a good 15 minutes. I don't know how many went by. Just ongoing, really? ongoing, yeah. And so he called his wife. I finally went and got Morgan. We, all four of us are looking at it. Long story short, I think um, Starlink, um, um, the, oh, uh, yeah, Elon yes, Musk released all yes, those. So yes. I, I, I think that's what they were. And so Elon Musk has apparently released a bunch of 10,000 oh. some odd satellites. I'm not sure if he's gotten to the 10,000 mark. Okay. That might be his goal, but okay. uh, he's been releasing batches of them for the last several months. What's I wish you had called me. I would have loved to have seen that. I, didn't, I was actually dumbstruck. I was just looking at it like, what? Because it wasn't like they were sporadic. They were perfectly spaced yeah. apart in yeah. a line like this just going across. It was just so huh. interesting. But they see. were just in a line of their own. In a line of their own, just huh. going across from one horizon <laughs> to the other. They're not that big, but it's gotten a, a lot of criticism from uh, a number of the astronomers and other scientists for fear that... Freaking people out? Well, no, <laughs> that's not what freaking happened. people out, but if you get enough of these objects in the sky, True. you could conceivably interfere with the resolution of the ground-based telescopes to, uh, to see things out where we, you know, in the far space. So apparently he's, he's been changing his, uh, I think, next generation little satellites to kind of mitigate some of that uh, interference oh, What's there. the purpose of these things, anyway? To provide global communications. 
So why is he, okay, so somebody else said that to me, but is it, so is it in regards to SpaceX or is he just doing this? No, 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 no. this is, he he wants to, he wants to provide communications for the world. Free Wi-Fi to everybody kind of thing? I'm not sure about free, but (laughs) I I think he would certainly like it if we're all using his network rather than anybody else's. And certainly it's going to benefit, I think, a lot of people who are in the areas where where they're underserved and they don't have access to Wi-Fi and other other sorts of technology. That is so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know where we're going there. I just, I, I knew he would probably have some insight into that's it. Great. Like that. yeah, that's great. Yeah. So that's great. Well, we intermittently will talk about yeah. stuff like that. But um, yeah, anyway, so I don't know why I brought that up right then and there. Um, well, I'm an Elon Musk fan. I mean, I must admit, everything he's done, he, it almost turns to gold. And I mean, SpaceX has certainly got my attention. For and, sure. And he's, he's just, he's taking it right along. And I, I do have a conflict of interest. Uh, my, my son-in-law works for Boeing as an engineer, and Boeing has got the Starliner, so okay. I, I don't know who to root for. Maybe I should <laughs> right. root for both of them, but uh-huh. they, they're both uh, going to be, I think, players in the future of space travel and getting astronauts and other things back and forth and mm-hmm. ferrying uh, cargoes and other satellites Whoever moves the needle forward, basically, you know? Yep. Yeah, yep. no, it's... Uh, it's interesting because I thought Google was doing that. And, and again, I, I'm completely ignorant to this. I just remember Google was talking about having, I think they were talking about free Wi-Fi globally. Um, I don't think Elon Musk could maybe afford to do free. Yeah. Or necessarily I bet he can. Yeah. I bet he can. So, I, I, don't so. think he's, I don't think he really wants to do it free. Yeah. And, and I, I'm not speaking for obviously SpaceX. <laughs> that would be cool if you were. Yeah, yeah, it would be. But I, I, I do feel that he wants to blanket the world with his satellites and provide worldwide communication for people, for everyone. Sure. And especially those who don't have current access. Right, right, right. Um, I could go on about uh, space nonstop. Um, I'll try to, though we can keep talking about it if y'all want to, too. But um, back to the whole. Well, no, no, no. I just, so, so, uh, sorry about that. Sorry. I I like the digression. Me too. Me too. I love that stuff. We can change that. I love that stuff. I I, I didn't say this, but before I wanted, before I decided to be a physician, when I was nine years old, you know, it's funny how you have these memories that that for whatever reason stick with you. Uh And I remember standing in, in, in my street at my, when I, in my home, in front of my home thinking, you know, I want to be a moon scientist. That's awesome. That's That's what I wanted to be a moon scientist. It wasn't an asteroid. That word didn't, it didn't exist at that time, but I wanted to be a moon scientist. Right. So, so from, from, you know, the beginning, right. either that or, you know, a physician or, you know, whatever. That's, right. that's all. That's all. I had a very, very, very brief thought when I was applying to residencies to do aerospace medicine. Um, talking it through with friends and family, um, I think my uncle or my dad, probably my dad. Brought probably your dad. Point. He brought up a really good point. He was just like, it's really cool but you have to realize that you end up geographically being in one of two locations in the country you know and that that uh, kind of deterred me but uh, well let, let me interrupt and say another interesting fact about uh-huh. me. <laughs> being in houston during my training uh, which is right there in the middle of everything right. right when i was there in the 70s and 80s and it was real big with skylab uh-huh. and uh, so during my re- fellowship training we had the opportunity to work with nasa and 
do some experiments with them on some of the Skylab stuff. And so I said, well, you know what? This is a great opportunity for me to apply to be, become an astronaut. Right. So I did that. Okay. And uh, I got a very nice letter thanking me for my application. And they said that, you know, but we've got so many astronauts sitting around right now and not doing Waiting. anything. We aren't accepting any applications for anyone. So uh, it was in between actually Skylab and and uh, the space shuttle, the program. Challengers. Yeah. I thought pilots were the shuttle. ones that ended up being astronauts. Well, uh, well, initially they did, but see, this is a time too that they were transitioning and, and having people come on as mission specialists. Oh, I see. Okay. That was the big thing back then. So you didn't have to be a pilot uh, back then, but yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, Almost everyone, all your certainly your commanders and the people driving that spaceship, they have to be pilots. Right. But does everybody? Does now does everybody have to be able to drive it? No. Okay, so there is one person that's running the ship, but the, yeah. there there has to be biologists. Yes, ab absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I I wouldn't want to pretend again that I know the criteria for NASA's mission specialists and things, but I I'm, I feel fairly confident that you do not have to be. A, a jet pilot and now to, yeah now okay. I assume they're automating some of that stuff too now you know what I mean? yeah yeah right yeah. we're trying to automate cars I can't imagine we're not trying to automate that. everything else you don't want to hit an asteroid well, it pretty much is I mean <laughs> SpaceX is pretty much all automated they're, it is, they're yeah. going up there now with the cargo stuff delivering things to the space station there's no one on it it's it's completely automated I think oh. they're working on getting it manless right and they're just trying to make it efficient by not having manpower up there to i wouldn't be surprised yeah. i wouldn't be surprised yeah what'd you, what'd you think of interstellar the movie you probably loved it oh yeah right oh yeah it was great yeah right i can't great i can't get my family to watch it enough times with me <laughs> seriously i'm always just like let's watch it and they're like no we've seen it way too many i'll times. watch it with you let's watch that okay yeah I'll watch it upstairs <laughs> yeah that'll be good He's got this John Armour's TV. Any, anything space and exploration and the the cosmos, I'm I'm all for Me it. Too. I I just love all these uh, things on the Science Channel and Discovery Channel about uh, uh, all these things that these astrophysicists get on on television with you and right. talking about their stuff. And I've learned so much about all of this. Well, speaking of, how about how cool the uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson Cosmos is. I love the, of course, the original one, but the new one. I haven't seen it. It's just phenomenal. It's the same one that Carl Sagan did, of course. Oh, awesome. You know, but but yeah. uh, it's updated with with CGI and that sort of thing. Gotcha. It's just I could keep watching it all the time. It's you know I was I was so hopeful my fourteen uh, year old at some point listen to this and she's gonna laugh at me because I've been trying to negotiate with her for the last four years. I'm like, if you watch one episode. You know, I'll do this, or if you watch two episodes, mm -hmm. I'll do. I'm just gonna get her to watch it. At some point, I'm convinced she's gonna see the value in this thing. But uh, you're just gonna pay her off. Something. I, I was willing to. I just lead by example, Dad, yeah. and she'll, right. she'll ultimately it's, come. It's usually, come through. Yeah, yeah, it's usually, yeah, it's usually on. Um, yeah, yeah my, my grandson is named Sagan. S A G A N. Oh, that's awesome. What a great Carl. name. Yeah, yeah. Carl. Yeah. Did you have anything to do with that? Uh, no, I wish I could say that I did, but I'm so proud that well, my somebody son and cool my, my daughter did that. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's that, actually, he's named after Carl Sagan. That's awesome. What a great name. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> a little shout out to my grandson. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Jack, there was a lot more interesting stuff to talk about about you than I was aware of. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. I've learned a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, 
Should we get back to viruses? I feel like I'm the one that's like trying to talk about real stuff and I can keep talking about movies. Well, you know, we kind of beat a dead horse after a while, but you know, I think people do want to, I think people do have questions about how COVID is being transmitted. How can we stay safer? What are some actions that we can take? Like most viruses, um, or, or let me rephrase that, like many viruses, they can have multiple modes of transmission. This virus happens to be primarily, though, a respiratory virus. Many people may not be aware of this, but coronaviruses have been around for thousands, if not possibly millions of years, and, and they are a cause, one of the causes of a cold every okay. year. It turns out that one of the problems with trying to develop a vaccine for the cold is that there are so many different viruses that can cause a cold, almost identical in terms of the symptoms. There's rhinoviruses and there's coronaviruses, adenoviruses. They all can cause similar, if not identical, symptoms. And so this virus uh, is transmitted primarily by the respiratory tract. In other words, if you call for sneeze out in the open and these uh, little particles are floating around and the other person happens to be nearby and breathes it in, then that's how it happens. But it's also true that if you cough onto your, or you cough into your hands, or you cough onto whatever clothes or some other inanimate surfaces object, or any sort of surface, mm-hmm. and then, and that virus can live for on a doorknob, at least exactly for hours. And some people think, depending upon the the environmental. Uh, uh, sort of conditions conditions that it could live for days. So the point is then you come along after I've coughed on uh, this object or whatever, and you, you put your hands on it. Now you've now, got it. Well, you've, <laughs> well, you, maybe. you don't have it yet, but what you've got, it, it's inoculated on your skin. And if, if you don't put your hands, fingers to your face, you're not going to get it. Well, I'm you're the worst. But I'm the we're worst. all humans. We're yeah. all humans. You know, let's face it, boys. We're I'm all, the worst. You know, we're all nose pickers. Uh-huh. You know, some of us dig. Some of us dig for gold. Others just you make a flyby. You know, but you know, we we're we're all humans, and it's very difficult to keep us from putting our hands in our faces. I am the worst. So we can just stop that. But yeah, so this virus actually is transmitted by uh, the respiratory tract. Primarily, but it's also transmitted by fomites, F-O-M-I-T-E-S, fomite. That's a, a medical word that stands for an inanimate object, doorknob, piece of paper, a fork. I mean, you name it. Right. It, it can it can harbor or, or, or hold on to that virus for a while, and then if someone comes along and touches that and transfers the virus to their hands, and they put their hands to their face, boom. That's that. You got it. So you touched on some of the controversy has been why are we all having to wear these masks um, in public and all that. But just to be clear, it's not necessarily so that you don't get something from somebody else. It's really so you don't right. pass something don't pass on them. to it's true. people. It is right. true. I think that's probably the, the biggest uh, value of that because these paper masks that we all use, and, and I do encourage everyone to use them if you can, is that it, they're very inefficient in terms of preventing you from sucking air around right. the mask. It, 
But what it does, if you cough, you cough into the mass primarily and you, you're catching a lot of it there. Plus, as a benefit, it really, while you're wearing the mask, it keeps you from putting your, your, your hands in your face. Yeah, you know, right. you touch a cloth, cloth mask, you right. know. Uh, so that, that has, I think, an added benefit of wearing a mask during this. It's got to help. It's, it's got to help. Can't hurt. Yeah. Can't hurt. It's <laughs> can't true. hurt. So I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah. There was some discussion about it not only just being like contact, but I'm talking about COVID in particular. Right. But, um, and I think we have been a dead horse from a transmission standpoint, but not this time, but last time we were talking about how we can aerosolize if you're doing some procedure. And all that means is that now that it's in the air for some brief mm-hmm. period of time, mm-hmm. luckily that seems to be really if you are in a medical setting where you're getting intubated or yeah. getting treatments. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there any other way? There was some discussion um, about it being in, in urine and, and feces and that kind of thing. Um, no, it's. I, I wouldn't want to say it couldn't possibly be there, but it, that's really not the main a, 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 a significant way of transmission. On not, I would say certainly if you've got someone with a COVID active known COVID virus infection, she'd be very careful of their bodily fluids because. It's not unusual to have viruses excreted in the in the uh, stool in the feces. Right. Uh-huh. And a perfect example of that is hepatitis A virus. Right. That's how you get it. It's it's uh, excreted in the stool, and when you don't use good hand washing, you got a problem. You got a problem. That's mm-hmm. how it spread. It's a fecal oral route, so it's not unheard of, right. and not an unreasonable thing to right. think that there could be some of the virus in the stool or, or potentially urine too. Right, right. What do, you, what do you think about the vaccine efforts? I know there's a bunch of companies that are doing it, and it seems to be that there's definitely going to be some extended time period before we have anything like that. It's going to be a year or so, kind of like they've been talking about, right? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I think it's going to be anywhere from year to year and a half, but there are several candidate vaccines out there and you're right there are a lot of companies working on this It's going to be a you know a, a certainly a boon for them that the right. first person to come up with the first vaccine that that's actually effective and all that so we've got we do have a long ways to go so it's it's one thing though to develop a vaccine that develops antibodies but these antibodies have to be protective antibodies and they have to persist and we have to hope that this COVID virus is not going to mutate right. such that the virus is not going to be active anymore. Right. Or we have to develop another vaccine. So, um, so I, I think that a, a lot has to happen, but and a lot is happening very quickly. I do hope that this time next year will be. Uh, uh, talking spot. about you know the the vaccines coming soon and, right. and all that, but I, I think it's going to be a while. Kind of unpacking what you just said as far as the antibodies being protective, just so people that are listening, can you really just for the benefit of people listening, um, a vaccine gets injected into a person's body. It's made in part of the virus that we're trying to protect against. Our body has to recognize that viral particle and then create antibody. a defense mechanism that is called an antibody. Mm-hmm. But you were mm-hmm. saying earlier it's got to be a protective one. So yeah. it can make 
non-protective ones or yes. potentially something that could be not helpful at all, I guess. And that's, that's the complexity of coming up with a vi- uh, vaccine. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, and, and you're right. What we, what we basically do is uh, traditionally, at least, we've uh, used parts of viruses, if you will, dead virus, things that can't possibly harm you. And uh, we inject it in humans or animals, and we trick the body into thinking that it's being invaded by that live virus. But it's not a live virus, but it doesn't know that. It just sees bits and pieces of virus floating around and reacts and forms antibodies against it. And as far as mutating, I know the, so the cold, the flu that we deal with routinely, it mutates. And that's the reason we have to have a new vaccine every year. Yeah. We don't know. And that's that a guess. Is, that's a guess. They're guessing, right? To yeah. some degree, right? I mean, there's. Well, you were talking about mutation. You, you want to hear some conspiracy theory? Please. Yeah. Of course. Those are always fun yeah. at the very yeah. least. <laughs> Stevie's over there really, really picking up on this. Yeah, well, this <laughs> well, it turns out that this virus, or one very close to it, was produced at the University of North Carolina in 2014, okay. published in 2015 in, in uh, Nature Medicine. So huh. it was published at the University of North Carolina. It's a joint effort by uh, uh, American scientists and uh, Chinese scientists. And uh, the study was also um, supported by China and the National Institutes of Health and everything like that. So when they made this virus based on the bat, you know, coronavirus, they... Can I interrupt real quick? Yes. Why would they make a virus? Well, why would you eat a bat? A lot of of people ask the same questions about why do you need to, you know, do research in this. As a matter of fact, those types of studies were shut down in the United States because it was thought, and it was, we feel even now that the potential gains in research is outweighed by the potential dangers of creating a super virus that will infect the world and kill hundreds and or thousands and millions of people and that's exactly what <laughs> What's going has on? happened right so so this once this research was completed and this virus was made our research was shut down but the chinese scientists who worked with us and this is my opinion took this virus back to the Wuhan yep. lab, viral laboratory. There is a lab there. There's this. It's the only one that I know of, that we know of in China that does this kind of research. Right. And so he either this either is the same virus or one very similar to it, mm-hmm. and it got out, either accidentally or intentionally. Or not. <laughs> and so I don't, I don't believe for one minute that this virus started in those little food the meat markets, markets. Really? The, okay. and and and, uh, and Wuhan or in China although certainly uh, traditionally that has been a, a very uh, rich environment to develop new right. viruses because of what's going on in those markets there and and things like that but yes this virus is has a reservoir in bats mm-hmm. and and like some of the flu, new flu viruses have reservoirs in other animals, like ducks, and right. pigs, birds, uh-huh. hence the flu 
that virus. Sure. Flu vac- uh, I mean, not flu, but avian right. bird uh, flu, flu and yeah. bird flu, you know, Correct. swine flu. Right. Uh, it, it came from, from a, um, uh, an animal and ultimately became uh, adapted to humans. So this coronavirus, this particular one, does have origins in the bat population. The viruses it calls this Middle East respiratory symptoms, MERS virus, has uh, some um, camel, camel, I mean, relation to camels, camels. So, so there, there's a long history of, of humans relationship with animals and transfer of viruses that normally don't infect us, but, but they ultimately end up becoming somewhat habituated and, and uh, end up making that jump and infect human beings. And this could have been what's what's happened, but I think this was a man-made virus built on the backbone of a bat coronavirus or something similar, and it got out. The Chinese government has been limiting, uh, of course, with all the quarantining they've done, they've been limiting these wet markets. And I don't know if that's, uh, it could just as well be a show who knows you know but 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 uh, I think it is. there is uh, <laughs> there uh, it's interesting that uh, they've uh, now just recently within the last few days kind of started reopening their economy and so there's some speculation not to con- you know to add on to the conspiracy theory piece uh, uh, there's some speculation about uh, that being like kind of the one-two punch to kind of knock down the economy globally but then they kind of quickly reopen again and get going so they may get a one-up you know what's uh, the likelihood of a second worse round i don't know about worse but i think the likelihood of of a second wave i think is very likely uh, it's probably somewhat necessary to, in order for us to open up the uh, economies again. There's, a, there's a, a, still a large group of people who haven't been infected. They're quarantining themselves, and so we're going to open up things. And there's going to be a second wave. Now, I think that the second wave is going to be somewhat uh, less than the first wave. And certainly we've got enough ventilators, we've got enough people and, and, and expertise to take care of these people. I don't think it's going to be anywhere near as bad, but to say that when the world's economy starts opening up again, we're not going to see at least a brief resurgence, I think is, is, is well, really, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. I think we probably are going to see that. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope we don't see me it. Too. I just probably don't no. think that, I, I don't think it's, going to happen. I think it is, we are going to see a, another wave of it this year. And if it follows some of the, like some of the other viruses, we're going to visit this again this winter. We're going to have to go through this again until we get the vaccines or either like the SARS virus. There's going to be a that? normal. That SARS virus, <laughs> it was in the early 2000s. It just disappeared. Right. It disappeared. Right. We're going to have a new normal. Yeah. Maybe all keep masks at home and that sort of thing yeah you know? yeah it's going to be a new normal it already is a new normal now about what to do and so i think that as we go along people a whole lot smarter than me are going to come up with, with strategies to help protect us during the winter time you know will we do some sort of limited distancing will we uh, prevent certain um venues from opening up and, and you know, what are we going to do with the college football season? Right. right. Uh, I can't imagine not going to Georgia football game. No more say. fights. Are you what? kidding me? You know, <laughs> Where's all my violence yeah, I know. So, come from? 
So uh, they're, they're going to have to, they are going to be changes made. I just don't know what they're going to be. Awesome. Yeah, the, uh, I lost my thought. That's why I have a pen and paper. I should have written it down. I don't know. Anything else you want to talk about? I don't think so. I mean, just, you know, from your standpoint, being, being a science buff and, and, and being a highly accomplished, uh, accomplished infectious disease physician, anything on the, on the horizon that's coming up from an ID standpoint that would be interesting to kind of hear about? I mean, yeah, a couple of things. One is, you know, the, the, the first, the, the warning not coming up, but that we do need more and new antibiotics and, and strategies to treat these bacteria. And this, of course, is a, a perfect example. Nature, our man, has once again <laughs> foisted upon us Yet another pathogen is killing us left and right. And uh -huh. so we've got to come up with effective vaccines and, and medications, antibiotics to treat this, these things. So the bacteria are certainly doing their job to get smarter Mutated, and smarter. Sure. And so far, we really don't have any new uh, classes or types of antibiotics other than the traditional ones. Yes, we're... We're cobbling together different antibiotics and making new things, but we're 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 running out of cho uh, choices and options here. I've got several patients in my practice who have these chronic infections that aren't killing them, but they're resistant to everything. Right. Huh. Everything. There's, You're bringing back some of the old stuff, or even that they're just resistant. To yeah, even even some of the old ones too. You we use those, and we're saying like this drug called colistin. That's right. Polymixin B. We've been using that. Well, we're seeing those drugs. Those bugs are are, are figuring those uh, antibiotics okay. out also. Wow. So, so it's still still uh, still worrisome to to see that. But, but the exciting one of the really exciting things. Uh, in the future for not only medicine and science but in, and infection but infectious diseases is the science of of, of genomics and, and looking at bacteria from a genetic or genomic viewpoint and coming up with new rapid diagnostic techniques taking blood samples and and as you know Heddle, when you when we culture blood from a, uh, a, a, a more traditional sampling, it takes anywhere from two to four days and possibly longer before you get the results back. Whereas with these new techniques, we're looking at hours. Oh, know? wow. And, and I, I would not think it's too much out of the realm that we would be able to come up with point-of-care testing that at the bedside, take a small sample and be able to tell you within minutes what bacteria Specifically what it is. you may have in your bloodstream. So these are just incredibly exciting things that, that traditionally using the culture techniques we've had over the years, you'd have to wait days to get answers. Now we're looking at minutes, minutes. to hours in the near future. So for the people listening, then essentially what happens right now is you're on the broadest possible medication regimen to make sure that whatever may be infecting you is being covered. I see. And uh, which is fine, except that over time, and Dr. Austin can talk about this, that you're, you know, as a, as a population, uh, we are communally eventually infected by bacteria that then become resistant to these antibiotics that we keep using over and over again. So if we limit the time that we're kind of using 
antibiotics by a guess. And instead of using pinpoint accurate antibiotic therapy, it would limit the resistance so that the people that need antibiotics in the future would be able to benefit from it. Couldn't say it any better. Absolutely. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. My medical school worked out for not you. Not rehearsed. Not rehearsed. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well, again, I really appreciate this. I don't Absolutely. Know, you know. Oh, man, what an honor Thank to you, be Dr. here. I'm glad to, glad to be here. Uh, next time, uh, let me come on and we'll talk about uh, astrophysics. Let's do it. Uh, and, and things I'll like brush that. up on my knowledge. I'm, I'm taking, read, a, read a a, I'm yeah. taking a, an online course in that right now, as a matter oh, of fact, really? in astrophysics. So Specifically? Really? Yeah. General astrophysics? Let's do that, Let's do that for yeah, sure I, next time. I just, I, just can't, I just can't wait to. So you say when? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> so just tell us when you're ready to roll. We love having you on. I will. I will. Now, now it's it's not the astrophysics that that you know you you go get a PhD in. It's a, certainly a watered down version of that, but it helps the average guy. Jack, Jack that's what we need. Understand <laughs> what these people up here in the stratosphere yeah. are talking about. Yep, you know, yep. uh, and, and it's just. An unbelievably fascinating topic. Honestly, I mean, all jokes aside, if I think more of the people in the population understood a little more about that, I think they'd be more appreciative of where they are and yeah. and what goes on here. Yeah, truly, so. you guys so. doing a great job. Keep it up. Thank you. Hope Thank this you. Thing gets going well here for you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. All right. Adios, folks. I'll see ya.